Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Um, if it is your first time here, again, I'm Phil, and uh, it's wonderful to be together. And we've been looking at the book of Ruth, which um, is a Hebrew short story. We're, we're on week three, so if you don't know it, not read it, it takes about 17 minutes to read it, so read it this week, and we're going to be looking at chapter three. So if you've got your Bibles, phones, iPads, uh, it'll be on the screens, read with me in chapter three, verse one to 18. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be where he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you should go in and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And he said to her, All that you say to me... I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that the mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman." Now it's true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at the feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephras of barley and laid it on her. Then he went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law and said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephras of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he's concluded the matter this day. There's a story about a farmer. And he noticed a sign at a local airport that said, Experience the thrill of flying. So he thought to myself, well, it's my wife's birthday. Um, I'd love her to experience the thrill of flying. Uh, I'm sure it will be a nice present. So Heather's saying, don't you ever do that to me. Uh, So he goes to the airport and finds the pilot, and it's a small open cockpit plane. Um, But the price is too high. And the farmer started to barter with the pilot. 
And he just kept on bartering the pilot, and eventually the pilot gave in. He said, okay, I'll bring the price down on one condition. You and your wife don't utter a single word during the flight. If you, you keep quiet during the whole flight, it'll be this price. As soon as you start saying a word, the prices are going to go up. Well, the farmer agreed, and uh, he was determined to give his wife the thrill of her life. So uh, the next morning, he brought his wife along, and they took off. And the pilot thought he'd have a bit of fun. So he did a few roller coaster dips and turns. He, he climbed and he dived, and he even did a few loop-the-loops. But not a sound is uttered. And as they land, the pilot is amazed by the determination of the couple. And he yells back at the farmer and he says, I can't believe you two didn't say anything. You two were quiet the whole time. So I guess you win. And the old farmer shouted back, well, you almost won, son. You almost won. I sure felt like hollering when my wife fell out. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that, by the way, just you know. I know none of you would ever do that. Yeah. Well, I found it a little bit funny. I know it's not, but... <laughs> Santa found it funny, so she said it was okay to say. But you know what? I think there is the kind of farmer in all of us. Not in that context, of course. But that determination, when we set our goals on something, we go after it and there's no holding us back. Or when we want to do something in our lives, we go after it, and there's no stopping us. Or if we're determined to have our way in something, nothing stops us. And I think there's a dilemma for us as Christians, is how do we know what is God's will for our lives? Or doing the thing that we do is our own will. How do we know what we're actually doing is what God wants for us, or actually, it's our own choices, what we want for ourselves. And I want to think about this this morning, what it means to do God's will. See, in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives us a, a little bit of a clue. <laughs> Have fun. Uh, he gives us a clue when he writes this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, we know whether we're doing God's will or not when we get the basics right. And the basics are offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, not conforming ourselves to the pattern of this world, but being transformed. And from that place and that place alone, knowing what God's will is for us and testing it. And you know, as we look through the scriptures, we see many examples. And, and Paul, who knew the scriptures himself, knew this model of offering and not conforming in order for us to know and to test. Abraham, an extraordinary test that he had before him offering his only son everything that was important to him in that moment in his life being willing to offer it as a living sacrifice and in the faithfulness of God God providing that ram so that the sacrifice could be offered and so that Abraham was tested it was accounted to him in his faithfulness to God 
Others like Hannah, longing for a child, Gideon, Samuel, David. And as we see in this book of Ruth, Ruth herself, she was prepared to offer herself as a living sacrifice. She was prepared not to conform to the patterns of this world and in doing so, discover God's will for her life. And I just want to think about this for a moment. What it means to be a living sacrifice. Well, we saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter one, Ruth speaking incredible words of commitment to Naomi. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. And she renounces the chance for her to go back to her own people, the Moabite people, and instead return as a foreigner to Bethlehem, showing choice, surrender, and sacrifice. And then last week we saw how she risks even the danger of going into the field to glean what she can after the harvesters. And it was a dangerous place for a young woman going on her own. But there she meets Boaz. And then here in chapter 3, She demonstrates Naomi's worth to her by saying these words, all that you say to me, I will do. I mean, how often do we say this to Jesus? All that you say to me, I will do. Everything. See, it's an act of worship. An act of worship. And it's so powerful because Ruth says, what she does, and she does what she says. Here she washes, she anoints herself, she puts on the best dress. I mean, that in itself is a, is a symbol that the period of mourning, having lost her husband, is over, and she's ready for marriage again. And then she goes quietly to where Boaz was sleeping. After he's had a, a little drink and something to eat, he's lying down in the, hay, uh, the bells of hay, and without disturbing him, she uncovers his leg, and lays down close beside him. And that in itself is incredibly risky. It was a sacrificial thing. Her actions amounted to her saying, I'm ready for marriage. But she was prepared to do this because of Naomi, offering herself as a living sacrifice. And then we see as well, her not conforming to the patterns of the world. Again, just flitting back to chapter one. She gives up the chance to stay with her own people and marry a Moabite male. That would have been what was expected of her at the time. Again, in chapter one, we see herself committing to a woman rather than a man in a very male-dominated culture. Again, contrary to expectations. And here we see her seeking marriage, not with the younger men of her age, as would have been expected but seeking after Boaz. And Boaz recognizes this himself in verse 10. He says, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you didn't go after the young men, whether poor or rich. And we don't know for sure because we're not told, but the implication of Boaz's comment is that the younger men who are harvesting around her may well have approached Ruth and she may well have been approached as a, uh, as a kinsman redeemer to her. They may have even proposed. But she doesn't take the easy route. Far from it, she risks possible disgrace. She risks possible abuse. And she risks possible rejection from the people of the town. She risks everything. But she doesn't go down the expected path. And it's an incredible picture because out of this place of a living sacrifice, 
and not conforming to the pattern of this world. She's able to test and approve God's will. Have you ever done that? You know, spoken to the Lord, said, God, I'm going to, if you like, put the fleece out. I need you to speak to me about this and that matter. I know when we came out of theological college and uh, two years at theological college was not a lot of fun for Heather and the girls and myself. And, and I remember saying to God when we were looking at the first posting as a curate, God, you have got to speak. And I even gave him uh, the verse, Psalm 138 verse eight in the good news version. Lord, your love is eternal. Complete the work that you've begun. And when we got to Rygate, it's lovely to have some Rygate friends with us after 18 and a bit years, nearly 19 years. You know, at the end of the talk when we were there, the vicar said these words, and it wasn't in his notes because I asked, asked him afterwards. He ended with these words, Lord, your love is eternal. Complete the work that you've begun. There have been times in our lives when we test God, when we look for those rainbows, as Heather's saying, even the disguised rainbows, and you see, this is what Ruth does here. She's able to say to Boaz in verse 9, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now, put it in the context, a male-dominated world. A woman is saying to this chap, number, number one, I am Ruth, your maidservant. And the Hebrew word for maidservant is not a slave or a servant to serve. It's actually the word to say, I'm ready to be married. I'm ready to be your wife. And then she goes on, take your maidservant under the wing. And this word for under the wing is the same words that Boaz used of her in chapter 2 when, when he says, you've come under the shelter of the Almighty's wing. And she takes that phrase and says to Boaz, okay, God is the Almighty one, but I am saying to you, take me under your wing. For you are a close relative. In other words, Boaz, fulfill your responsibility and make me your wife. <laughs> You see, from a place of offering and giving everything and not conforming, she's able to test God's will for her life and also Naomi. And you know the outcome. When we do that, we see God at work. Verse 10, she receives Boaz's blessing. Blessed are you of the Lord. Verse 11, she gains his assurance. Do not fear, for I would do what you request. Verses 12 and 13, she discovers the commit, his commitment to settle this matter in the morning with the closer kinsman. Verse 13, she finds his protection. And then verse 17, he just pours literally into her lap this enormous amount, 60 to 100 pounds of barley. <laughs> literally, this lady is staggering back to Naomi with this abundance of barley because of the generosity of Boaz. And you think back to chapter one when Naomi came back to Bethlehem and her name, which means lovely, good and pleasant, and she changed her name to Mara, which means bitter. It's like the Lord has taken everything away. How powerful it is, not only for Ruth, but for Naomi to have that literally fullness of blessing being poured into her lap. And at the heart of it all, Ruth discovers God's will for her life. 
We're going to introduce Gabriella in a little bit later on in the service. <laughs> but it's wonderful to have her here. <laughs> and Henry. <laughs> I believe this is a timely message for us all. I think with everything going on in the world, with so much that is going on in our lives, I think it's so important for us to know God's calling on our lives, his will, his purpose, holding on to that lifeline that he's given us, even in the face of the challenges and the struggles. I think when we look at Ruth's life, it's clear that discovering God's will didn't come easy. Do you find that? You know, she must have wondered time and time and time again, God, what are you up to? What are you playing with Naomi? What is going on? Working hard for seven weeks, you know, picking up this grain that's just left by the side. And I think sometimes, maybe often, for us discovering God's will, it doesn't always come easy. I'm sure many of us are wondering right now, what on earth is going on? And as a church community, I cannot remember a time when we have had so many different things and challenges that we are sharing together, literally crying out to God to save a precious life as we have done with Georgina, you know, where all the odds were against us surviving. And yet by the grace and mercy of God, he's heard our cry and she's pulling through. Praying for the twins. Praying for those that are having cancer treatment. Praying for those that have lost loved ones. Praying for those who are still able, unable to be with us because of illnesses and things that are going on in their life. There's just been so many. And then in the midst of it, you know, when you're, you're, you feel like you're carrying that for other people, and then things happen uh, to yourself in the midst of all of that. So Heather being in A&E last Friday, you know, God, what are you playing at? What on earth is going on? I think we all know that, and we understand it all too well. But the Bible teaches us the truth. And with the Holy Spirit's presence with us, in us, filling us, we discover there really is only one way to know God's will. And that is humbly offering ourselves to him again and again. As living sacrifices. Knowing the risk that Ruth knew going into the field, taking that first step. Knowing the responsibility that Boaz knew, being kinsmen redeemers to those around us. You know, whether it's for one person or many, God has placed in our midst those that we can support and care for and step into that places of holding their arms up and supporting them and hugging them and loving them and doing what God has called us to do. Knowing that with all of that, we come under the shelter of his wing. There is only one shelter that is lasting. You know, we can go to other places, but actually it never lasts. But only under the wing of that almighty do we find that true shelter. This is our true act of worship. 
Paul writes in Romans 6, 13 to 14, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. I love that. Whatever is going on in our lives, Jesus has made it possible by the cross, rising again, that we can live under the shadow of his wings, which is full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. And out of that place, we can offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That should be our priority and goal. But then there's also the not conforming to the patterns of this world. You know, it doesn't surprise me, but many of the commentators that look at this passage speak of the sexual connotations of Ruth uncovering Boaz's legs. But from the background, the outcome, the context, the characters, what was clear is that although the temptations were there, of course they were for both Ruth and Boaz, neither of them fell into it. Neither took advantage of the other. Neither abused the honor and respect of the other. Neither conformed to the pattern of the world then and now. And in doing so, they were able to discover God's will for their lives, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you see, we're called to do the same. We're called not to conform to the pattern and pressures of this world, whether it's sexual pressures, whether it's social pressures, whether it's pressures of image and materialism, entitlement, aggression, blame, criticism, elevating ourselves above others. All of these pressures that are around us all the time. We're called to offer ourselves to him and to be transformed in our thinking, our behaving, our acting, and our loving by his word and by the Holy Spirit. And it's from that place we're able to test and approve God's will. And actually the the Greek um, verb for this is in the aorist tense. It's like wheels in motion I think sometimes we feel it's like God's got a will and this is it. He spoke back in 1964 and that's it. He's a God that loves to speak all the time. And for us to test and know his will, actually it's like wheels in motion as we journey with him. Knowing his leading, knowing his guiding. When we slightly stray, he brings us out back and, and we keep moving. When we get knocked down, he lifts us up and we keep moving. When we face these mountains, he crumbles them before us. Not always in our timing, but he does. So that we can keep journeying. And if he doesn't crumble the mountain, he digs a tunnel. And we go straight through it. We're called not to conform. Then we're able to test his will. Let me just finish with this. Ruth's words are these. All that you say to me, I will do. What is Jesus asking of you? What is he asking of me today? It may be we need to forgive a bit more. It may be we need to bless a bit more. It may be we need to trust him a little bit more. It may be we need to offer all of our lives and all that he's given us is a gift of heaven. I love sport and um, 
yeah, sport was kind of my life for many years. And I remember being really impacted as a young adult about the story of Andrea Jaeger, the tennis player. Now, we are going back a few years. Uh, at the age of 18, she beat Billie Jean King. <laughs> Again, going back a number of years. Uh, Billie Jean King was like the number one and had been women's tennis player for years and years. She got to the finals at the age of 18. Extraordinary story. But at the age of 20, with her whole career before her, she had to stop playing tennis because she had a shoulder injury. I mean, imagine how devastating that is. But after a time of searching, she ended up, Andrea Jaeger, ended up setting up a center for children diagnosed with cancer in Colorado. And during an interview, one of the things she said was, what is more important, hitting thousands of tennis balls or making a difference in someone's life? Now, I don't know whether she's a Christian today or not. I don't know anything about her at the moment. But one thing she showed, she offered herself to this cause. She didn't conform to the pattern of the day and lives were changed. Whether it's for one person, God wants to use us to make a difference. Whether it's for thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know. But what he looks for in us is that willingness for us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. Not conforming to the standards and patterns of this world. And being willing to walk that path. And we can know, not only will it change everything about our lives, but it will change the atmosphere around us. And it will make all the difference. I think Jesus is saying to us, what will you allow me to do as you give all of you to me? Let's stand and pray. Let's hear those words again of Ruth. All that you say to me, I will do. Maybe just in ourselves, echo those words to Jesus. Jesus, all that you say to me, I will do. All that you say to me, Jesus, I will do. Father, I pray for each one of us individually as a church family and for those that represent other churches elsewhere that we would have that willingness of Ruth to be living sacrifices, laying it all down before you. We would have that willingness and choice of Ruth to not conform to the pattern of this world and in the process and from that place, Lord, to know and test your will for our lives. And Father, I ask that for any of us here who are struggling to know that you would come and speak clearly to us right now, today, that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to hear your voice and to hold on to your lifeline and to see your leading and guiding as we look to you. And Father, we say to you, all that you say we would do for you, for your glory. And Father, that you would lead and guide us and stir our hearts so that this uh, community around us, this island and further afield would be transformed for your glory. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.